Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Last week we began a new series called God's Masterpiece. And uh, God is the creator, we are his creation. God is the inventor, we are his invention. Uh, God is the artist and we are his masterpiece. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this. This is out of the New Living Translation. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. And uh, the New King James, or the King James, I believe, says workmanship. uh, But masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, speaking of new birth, in Christ Jesus, so that we can do the things that he has planned for us long ago. God's got a plan and a purpose for our lives. We are God's masterpiece. We are the result, result of his workmanship. God created us to fulfill a plan and a purpose. So our purpose can really be broken down into two categories. There is a general purpose for all of us. We have a general purpose. Mankind has a general purpose. God created us collectively to fulfill. It's a shared purpose. Then secondly, we have a specific purpose. God has a specific plan and a purpose for our lives. God created us individually, and he has a specific purpose for each of us to fulfill. So our purpose can only be fulfilled in Christ. Apart from Jesus, you'll never be able to fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life. It must be accomplished in Christ. So once we're born again, we can discover this purpose, and then we can fulfill that purpose. Jeremiah uh, chapter 18 gives us a powerful picture, an image of this taking place. Uh, with the potter and the clay, and starting in verse 1, it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he had made of clay was marred. It was damaged. It was disfigured in the hand of the potter. So he made it again. Again, we're looking at new birth, transformation taking place in our lives. So he made it again into another vessel. And look at this, not, the, not so that it pleases the vessel, but he recreates that vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. So when you give your lives to Jesus, it, your life is in his hands. It's in his hands to reshape and to remold into something that is honoring to him. So all of us are marred like this clay. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are like this clay that is marred in the potter's hand. But once we surrender our lives to Jesus, what we do, we put ourselves back onto the potter's will. We put our lives into his hands, and then he can shape us, he can mold us, and he can form us again into a vessel, into a masterpiece that testifies to his creativity, his powerful abilities. So Paul says it this way about uh, vessels made of clay, 2 Timothy 2.2, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter... He will be a vessel of honor, sanctified or set apart, and useful for the master. But you've got to be born again, set apart, and God can do something great in your life. He's got a plan and a purpose, can only be fulfilled in Christ. Useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So in Christ, we are a masterpiece. We're being reshaped or transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit Who is the Holy Spirit trying to transform us into? What what likeness, what image? And it's that of Christ. The Holy Spirit is transforming us more and more into the image of Christ. As long as we do this, we avail ourselves to the potter. Allow him to shape us and mold us. So last week in part one of the series spoke to you about fellowship and the purpose of fellowship. 
such a huge and important part of our lives between uh, fellowship between ourselves and God, but also fellowship between ourselves as the body of Christ. Today I want to speak to you about the purpose of worship. And God created us for the purpose of worship. So all of us have this, this shared purpose, each and every one. It doesn't matter if you're in Christ or not. Every person on planet Earth has been created for this purpose, to worship. So we can't avoid it. We're all created to do this. And we all worship something or someone. The word worship comes from the old English word. And when you see it, it looks kind of weird, but it really just means worthship, worthiness, what is worthy, that which is worthy, worthiness. So when you look at the word worship, it comes from this, this old English word that simply just means worthiness, worthship. So worship is defined as our response to what we value most. You want a simple definition of what worship is? There you go. Worship is defined as our response to what we value most. So man's worship has been corrupted. It's been marred by sin. You know, we have a strange way of understanding and practicing worship. And when it gets really convoluted or when it really gets disfigured and out of joint, this is what worship looked like looks like, talks about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to, the unclean, to uncleanliness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, here's the key, focus in on this. Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. See, when worship gets all discombobulated and it gets out of whack, this is what it turns out to be. We begin to worship what's created rather than the creator. God, God created us to worship him. And I know that may sound egotistical, but it's not because our view of worship is so whacked out, we don't really understand what it means. We can look at it and say, well, God, just, he's a glory hog. He wants it all. That's, that's not what it is. That's not what it's about. We really, our heart doesn't understand what worship is about if that's how we view it. So worship, when it's marred by sin and it's corrupted, it turns into the creation, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. So worship has been altered by sin, and it causes us to worship created things over the creator. So we worship, what do we worship? We'll worship ourselves. Uh, we'll worship our spouse. We'll worship our children. We'll worship friendships. We'll worship money. We'll worship possessions. We'll worship experiences. We'll worship our, our jobs, our occupations, our habits, our substances, power, lust, sex. The, the list is endless. What the things that we'll worship, created things, whether they're created directly by God or God's given us the, the ability to create them, we will worship them. When our worship is out of whack, that's what we'll do. Worshiping created things means this. We place a higher value on those things. See, God alone is worthy of our worship. That's why he said, you shall have no other gods. It's commandment number one. No other gods. That's only for him. You were created to worship him. Only to him do we show the highest value. So when we worship created things, what we're saying is this. They have more value than God. The worthiness belongs to them rather than the creator. So we can see how that's very dangerous. Worship has been corrupted by Satan. Worship's been corrupted by Satan. And Satan was created for a purpose. Satan is not a divine being. He is a created being. So most theologians believe Satan was created as an angel who presided over worship. I happen to agree totally with that. So let's do this. Let's look at Satan. Let's begin with a very familiar passage of Scripture. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 12. It kind of gives us the mindset of Satan and what his desires are and why he's so corrupted. 
So Isaiah chapter 12, verse 12. How you are fallen from where? From heaven, right? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So there is his aspirations. There are his desires. He is a created thing, created to worship. But what does he want to do? He wants to be above the creator. That is his desire. That's his aspirations. Clearly, he was in heaven. He was created by God, but his heart is full of pride. And his pride fuels him to do this. I want to be worshipped like the Most High. In fact, I don't want to be worshipped like the Most High. I want to be the Most High. I want to replace him. I want to take his position. So Satan still has this desire to be worshipped. Even to this day, he wants to be worshipped. Just before Jesus began his public ministry, you'll recall this, he was uh, baptized in the Jordan River by John. John baptizes him. The Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. All that takes place. Jesus leaves the Jordan River. He goes into the wilderness where he begins to fast and pray for 40 days. He goes out there really to prepare himself for what lays ahead. His earthly ministry begins at this point. So he's in the desert. He's fasting. He's praying for 40 days. And he's hungry. And he's tired. And he's worn out. And that's when Satan comes to tempt him. Three times, right? There's three temptations. But the third temptation is the manifestation of what he wants and what he desires. In Matthew 4, 8, it says this, And again, the devil took him, or Jesus, up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, said to Jesus, I mean, think of the gall that this, this being has. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. It's his desire. He wants to be worshipped. What's Satan saying to Jesus? I understand why you're here. I may not know how you're going to do it, but I understand why you're here. You're here for them. You've come for them, but they belong to me, speaking of people. So I'm going to make you a deal. Here's how we're going to do this. You don't have to go through all the troubles of doing what you've got to do. I'll give them to you. One condition. One condition. Bow down and worship me. Bow down and worship me. They're all yours. You don't have to do anything else. Just worship me, and I'll give them to you. See, that's what he wants. He wants to be like the Most High. It is his desire is to be like the Most High. But Jesus, that would pervert his purpose, his plans, his purpose. The reason why he was sent, the reason why he left heaven, the reason why he put on flesh was this, to redeem or to ransom us from sin. We belong to this world, but Jesus comes to redeem us out of this world and then restore us to our purpose. And Satan wants to pervert that. Satan was created to worship the Most High, but his desire is to be worshipped by the Most High so that he is the Most High. So that's his driving desire. It's his desire behind what fuels who he is. Now let's go back to why he was created, why, he, uh, why we say that he is uh, part of worship. So Ezekiel chapter 18 says this in verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord, look at this, you were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Some people say this isn't about Lucifer. This is about the king of Tyre. But the king of Tyre is not the seal of perfection. He's not full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. The king of Tyre is representing a spiritual being. It's like this. When, when uh, Peter 
uh, or Peter said something that Jesus didn't like, and he says, uh, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, he's not calling Peter Satan. He's referring to a spirit. He's referring to the, the influence that's behind it. He's not calling, it's the same thing. It's the same picture that's taking place here. And the only reason we know that for sure are the preceding verses. There's only one person that's going to fit this category, by the way. Check this out. Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, the king of Tyre was not in Eden in the garden. There's only four people we know that's in Eden. God, the devil, Adam, and Eve. So it narrows it down pretty much who we're talking about. You were in, the, were in Eden, the garden of God. Look at this. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, and diamond, and beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared for you on the day you were created. So the king of Tyre was not in the Garden of Eden. So again, that narrows it down to who we're speaking of. Ezekiel says this being was fitted with precious stones and jewels. He's an instrument, basically. He's, he's fitted with timbrels and pipes. Look at this. If, you're any, if, you, if, you, if you need more clarity, check this out. The following verse, verse 14. You were the anointed cherub. You're an angel who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. Look, at, look where he's at. Look where he's ministering. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stone. Satan was the anointed cherub. He's an angel. He was on the mountain of God. This is where he's cast out from. He was fitted with precious stones, jewels, gold, pipes, and timbrels. Ezekiel is referring to the same being who was created for the purpose of worship. And a person, a being that would, again, rebel against God. Verse 15 and 16, you were perfect in your ways. So we know he predates the uh, fall of man. So you were perfect in your ways from the day, day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So again, this being predates sin. He was perfect. He was without sin. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within. And you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Satan was cast from, the, from heaven. He was removed from his place. And where does he go? He goes to earth. So the rebellion that took place in heaven. And think about this. Jesus was present for this rebellion. Do you know that? Because Jesus didn't just show up in Bethlehem, Judea, when he was born of a virgin. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega. So Jesus even kind of reflects on this at one point. Do you recall when the disciples, when Jesus said, all right, I'm going to send you out. You're going to minister in the communities. I'm going to empower you, and you're going to go out. You're going to preach the gospel. And uh, they do so. They go out, and they preach the gospel, and they come back with this report. Verse, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. So the disciples are rejoicing because they have powers over demons. But look what Jesus says. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Listen, when he rebelled, he got booted, and he got booted quick. He hit the earth, and it was like lightning. So he was there. He was present. So Satan being expelled from heaven is separated from his purpose. Because remember, he is created for a purpose. He wasn't created by accident. God created him to fulfill a purpose. That purpose was worship. So he's cast away from heaven. He's separated from his purpose. What does that do? That leads a void. 
It leads a void. He has a purpose to fulfill, but he cannot fulfill that void because he's been cast from it. Now, some theologians believe that the angels who rebelled with, uh, with Satan were also part of worship. I tend to believe that myself as well, and here's why. We know this. There are three angels mentioned in Scripture. Michael leads a third of the angels. Gabriel leads a third of the angels. And the idea is that Lucifer led another third of the angels. Michael seems to be associated with this. And you'll understand what I'm saying. Battles, spiritual war. You'll see how Michael is always associated in that, that area. What about Gabriel? You see, Gabriel is always involved in messaging, communicating. Again, when we look at Lucifer, what was his job? His job was worship. He is a, he's an instrument. He's basically configured or made, created as, a wor as an instrument of worship. So if this is true, they leave a huge void in heaven. And worship is so important. Worship is so important to the church. It's so important to our lives as believers. It's such a vital purpose. God created this being to worship, and you are taking his place. Now, he wants to be worshiped, so he will do everything in his power to corrupt worship, how we worship, why we worship. He'll, he'll just corrupt it entirely. So music has an anointing on it. And if Satan can influence that, if he can corrupt it, if he can get the focus on him or away from God, then he's, he's performed his job. He's done exactly what he wants to do. So power of music and the power of worship are often weaponized in churches. You know, we're talking about weaponizing uh, 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 resources right now in the world. Well, worship has been weaponized in churches. It has been doing so for years, and it's a shame because we just give the devil an open door when we do that, when we allow it. So God's people, really, when you think of the void that's created in heaven, God's people are the replacement worship leaders. God wants worship from us. Our expressions of worship, how we live our lives in worship. God wants to hear his people worshiping together in unity. God also wants us to live our worship every day throughout the entire week. So to anyone who wants to come up with this idea, they're just, whether they're super spiritual or macho, when it comes to expressing worship, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how macho or how spiritual you may be, singing, lifting hands, bowing down, shouting praises are necessary expressions in worship. You can't take that out of the Bible. It is vitally important. Well, pastor, I'm not an expressive person. Yes, you are. You were created to be an expressive person. Every one of us, an expressive person. L listen, we seem pretty expressive when somebody pulls out in front of us and cuts us off. Uh, we seem pretty expressive when uh, we look at the gas prices. We seem pretty expressive when it comes to our favorite sports teams. We seem pretty expressive and passionate about the things we're passionate about. But when it comes to worship God, why are we so passionate? You see, there's a conundrum here, right? There's some imbalance that's taking place. Church, let's be honest. Pride usually is the fuel for the reasons why we're not so expressive in our worship. Now, we'll, we'll cloud it with a bunch of nonsense, but it really comes down to pride. See, you and I were created to be expressive. We were created to express worship, to live worship, to come to church, yes, to worship, and to live worship as well. So it's not one or the other. Well, I choose to live my worship. No, you choose to express worship in God's house, with God's people, outside of God's house, period. You live a life of worship. It's not one or the other. Well, God, I'll make a deal with you. I'll worship outside in private, but I'm not going to worship here. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Seriously, it's pride. 
It's a travesty when we gather together as a church and our expression of worship isn't half of what it should be. Listen to this, church. There are things that we express worship for and towards. Throughout, you, we worship all the time. Highest worship, highest praise belongs to God. God alone. But we worship all kinds of things. But it's sad that our expression of worship goes for things that, for things for people who didn't die on the cross for us. There is a connection between pride and worship. It's inseparable. It's in Scripture. The being who was created to worship was full of pride. So be careful. Humility. Humility is such a key in our development as believers. Humble yourselves. Well, I just, I just don't want to be, don't, just humble yourself and worship God. Why? Some of you, I believe if we just lift your hands up, you'd do the ching, 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 you'd hear change. It's broken off because there's such pride that holds it down. Well, I can't worship in that church because I really don't like the music. It's not about you. I mean, if you come to church and worship is about you, there is a huge problem with your heart. <laughs> worship belongs to God, God alone. Not you, not man, it's for God. But how about this? Why don't we come to church and worship and give God glory and give him praise regardless of what the song is? You know what? I'm amazed in church culture. I, man, we'll get fired up when it's our song. But why don't we just make it God's song and give him the same expression of worship from our hearts? It's not about us. Church, I know this sounds familiar. We've all been in these places where we've seen these examples. Worship isn't about you or I. Worship is about God. It's what he created us to do. But we make it about us. And what do we do? We pollute it. It's a travesty. It really is. It belongs to him. You and I were created to worship God. We've been born again, reshaped by the potter for his plans and for his purposes. It's not this, God saved me, and then you just bless me, and that's the way it's going to be. No, you are put into the potter's hand. He is shaping you. He is forming you. He is renewing you. He is empowering you. You and I were created to worship God. Our bodies are physically instruments. You got vocal cords. Vocal cords, which in essence, really acts as a stringed instrument. We have wind in our lungs. When you push that wind beyond those vocal cords, create singing. It's a wind instrument as well. You have some percussion instruments. You're an instrument. You are an instrument. God can use you for worship, expressing worship. And if you don't think worship, music, and music is important, then again, what are you going to do with Psalms? The book of songs. What are you going to do with that? Musical pauses, all kind of musical uh, phrases within those songs as well for the musicians to recognize. Worship is important. Worship and music collectively are together important. But I understand worship goes beyond that. So I understand that worship is more than our Sunday morning expression, but it is worship. This is part of worship. It's our response to what matters most. Who matters more, most? Now think about how you just worshiped. Who was the object of your worship just a little bit ago? God made us for the purpose of worship. And if you ever notice in the book of Genesis that things are created and things are made. Things are created and things are made. There's a difference between the two. For example, God created the heavens and the earth. He takes something out of nothing and he creates it. God created the light. There was no light. He speaks and light appears. God made vegetation, but the vegetation comes from the ground that he created. He makes it from the ground. 
you and I were made from the ground. You and I have two components that were made. See, Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God gave them a human body from the dust of the ground. In other words, the clay, the earth. And he molds them and he shapes them. He creates this masterpiece from the dirt. Man is made of the dirt. He's made of the clay. He's being shaped. He's being molded. You know, the dirt is uh, what, what he made. We are sustained by the dirt, so to speak, as well. So we're made from the dirt, but we're also sustained by the dirt. You ever thought about that? You have to eat, right? Things that come from the ground, things that come from the dirt. So I eat, I eat animals. Guess what they're sustained by and created from? So we're sustained by the earth. It means our bodies are physically fed and watered from the earth. And one day our bodies will return to the dirt. So we're made of the dirt, sustained by the dirt, and we'll return to the dirt. But we also have this part of our being that is not from the earth. It's not from the dirt. It's from God. See, this happens in Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed man, shaped him into this masterpiece, but it's just a masterpiece. It's just sitting there. It has no life. And what does he do? God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. He is given a spirit, and man becomes a living being. See, our spirit comes from God. It is sustained by God, and one day it will return to God. There is a connection that takes place. See, God didn't create us for the purpose of religion, God created us for the purpose of fellowship, and fellowship and worship are so tight together. They're almost indistinguishable at times. See, if we do this, if we fellowship with God but don't fellowship with one another, we break the purpose of fellowship completely, and it's not worship. But when we fellowship with God and we fellowship with one another and we can fellowship together in unity and love, there is something special that takes place. There is an anointing always on that. How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. So when we fellowship with God, we fulfill our purpose. It's a connection. It's an intended connection that God desires. And there's a time that's coming when God's going to bring this world to an end. And our purpose that he originally created us for will be uh, restored to us. So how, how we live our lives in this world matters. Because what it's going to do is it's going to determine what takes place in the future. Now, you can either be, full, be redeemed and restored to God's original purpose for your life, or you can go your own way, and it never ends good. But if you're redeemed, if you're redeemed by Christ, at the end of it all, you will be judged by Christ and rewarded. So once you've been judged, you've been rewarded, you'll be restored to God's original intention. I believe that with all my heart. We're not going to be just in heaven floating around on clouds, strumming a harp. and we, God's got a plan and a purpose for us in eternity. In eternity, God's got a purpose for us that we will fulfill. And again, it's not just singing all day long. So we get to be with Jesus. There will be this great banquet that takes place, the marriage supper of the Lamb, a great feast. If you like to eat, then you get to eat. You get a fellowship with Jesus, fellowship with one another, the family of God together. And then John writes about this taking place in Revelation 21. The construction, speaking of the heavenly city, that we're all going to dwell in together. The construction of its walls Boy, pay attention to these jewels. They showed up earlier. You remember what Satan was fitted with? Jasper. And the city was a pure gold, like a, like a clear sea. The foundation of the walls of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was Jasper. The second was Sapphire. The third was Chalcedony. The fourth was Emerald. The fifth was Sardux. 
the sixth was Sardis, the seventh was Crystallite, the eighth was Beryl, the ninth was Topaz, the tenth Christophase, the eleventh was Jacinth, and the twelfth was Amethyst. I'm probably sure that I destroyed all those. I don't think it's by accident that Satan was adorned with many of these. God is using those stones to build an eternal city. The twelve gates and were uh, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was like pure gold, transparent like glass. And God's preparing this place, a, a new Garden of Eden, so to speak, a new place where he can fellowship with us, a new place where we, he can fellowship with his masterpiece, be close to it. But I saw no temple in it, verse 22. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor. They'll worship and the, in the, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. You and I were created for this purpose, to worship God, to honor him, to glorify him. One day we will fulfill that purpose. When we fellowship together, it's worship. Whenever we get together as a, as a body, we worship together. We are worshiping. You know what God wants from us most when it comes to worship? His, his greatest desire for us in worship. There's one aspect of worship that he wants the most. I mean, there's unity. When we can unify together, there's something powerful. But the, what he desires most from us, individually and collectively, is love. Just love. Adoration. That's what he wants. God wants us to value him most of all. John 24, verse 23 and 24. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The, the, re, the reason why I highlighted worship four times in those two verses for a reason, it's the same Greek word. So the word that is used throughout those two verses, there's four times it's used as worship. It's the Greek word proskuneo. Proskuneo means to kiss. Now, think about the trans Bible translators when they take those original scriptures, Greek and Hebrew, and they try to translate them into other languages. They have sometimes they're like, huh, <laughs> how do we translate this? Because the word proskuneo means to kiss. So imagine this, God is spirit and those who kiss him must kiss him in spirit and truth. <laughs> now the reason why they chose worship, and, and especially for English, is worthiness. What's, who alone is worthy of my kiss? You know, there's a worthiness there. So the reason why the early church, you think about this, there's a reason why the early church met together and greeted one another with a holy kiss. Now we ain't going to start kissing each other. We're not going to be that church, all right? But the reason why they did that was it was worship, fellowship. So don't worry, we're not going to do that, but just think about why. why, why it might help us to understand a picture better. So I think, again, the translators had some, some issues trying to put that into a language or a word we could understand. So and it's not a, a sexual kiss. It's not a passionate kiss. It's, it's a kiss like you kiss your kids, too, as well. It's a, it's a kiss of adoration. So here's a great illustration. 
So today after church, uh, we'll leave here. We'll go home. Usually Ella gets home first. Not always, but usually she'll get home first. She'll be the first one home. When she gets home, she'll turn off the house alarm. And if she remembers, she may or may not, or she just may choose not to let the dog out of Peyton's room. That's where we keep the dog in Peyton's room. So Ella will come home first. She'll turn off the alarm. And if she remembers to let the dog out, the dog will be excited. She'll see her, you know, do all that. And, but she's not looking at her. She's looking beyond her. Peyton usually gets home next, and dog's excited again. You know, but again, she's, she's looking beyond Peyton. Now, I get a, I get a little bit more like she gets a little bit more excited, but she's looking beyond me. When Jenny gets home, that dog will do everything she can to get her attention because that's her dog, and Jenny doesn't even like the dog, but it's her dog. She, if Jenny gets low enough, that dog will be all over her face. A dumb dog loves her, just loves her. So me and the kids, we can do this. We can care for that dog. We can feed that dog. We can take that dog for car rides. You can do anything, and that dog will betray us. Because she loves Jenny. There was a, a cold night last month or so, and uh, we we Jenny said, "I'm going to let the dog out before we go to bed." She lets the dog out and she forgets. But anyways, forget about the dog. And then Ella gets up later at night for some whatever reason, and she sees the dog out there on on the on the porch shivering, and she feels bad for the dog. But she does. The dog sleeps in our room. She doesn't want. To, to wake us up, so she feels bad. She takes the dog into her room, and you know, you think that act of kindness and generosity would make that dog love her more, and maybe give Jenny the cold shoulder. Uh-uh. That dog can't wait to get out of that room in the morning to go lay with her mama. That dog couldn't wait to get out of there. Just couldn't wait to get out of there. Here's why I say that. Here's the rest of the definition of proskuneia, because there's more to the definition. And it's not something I'm making up. You can go to the lexicons, and you can go to the Strong's Concordance. You're going to find this. Here it is, proskuneo, proskuneo, meaning to kiss, like a dog licking his master's hand. To crouch down, prostrate oneself in homage, do reverence to, adore, worship. Now, you, if you have a dog that loves you, that dog worships you. It worships you. Now, I'm not, try, I'm not trying to say it's a picture. That dog has given you a picture. That dog is giving you a picture of what love and adoration is. That dog loves Jenny, and, just, and she puts up with us, but she loves Jenny. It's unconditional, too. It's devoted. It's, I mean, Jenny can do all kinds of things, that dog, and that dog just loves her, loves her. Forget about her, not feed her, whatever, just loves her. So when's the last time you got all excited and expressive in God's presence? Whether you were here or alone. When's the last time you showed God that same enthusiasm, that same devotion, that same adoration? When's the last time you worshiped God, proskuneo, in spirit and truth? When's the last time you bowed down before God? When's the last time you physically reacted? Because worship is a reaction to what we value most. See, some of you never brought a physical reaction to God. It's a shame because you were created to do this. You were created to live worship and to express worship. And sometimes we don't do this because we're missing a part in our heart called humility. We're just not willing to humble ourselves because what are people going to think? What are people going to say? What, how am I going to appear? What, who cares? You are coming to worship God. That same, that same love and adoration that a dog shows to its master, why can't we show that to God? Why on earth can't we show that in God's house on a Sunday morning with other believers? 
You were made for worship. This is part of who you are. It's part of what you're supposed to be. It's part of what we're supposed to express. To say that I'm not, that's not just not my thing is saying this, that God created you incorrectly. He made a mistake. But he made you and I to worship. He made you and I to fellowship. There are purposes that are general. There's purposes that are specific. Worship crosses both of those. It, it crosses into both. The Bible says this, we are love the Lord our God with what? All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our, everything that's in our entire being. We are to love God. It's the first, it's the greatest commandment. It is worship. You were made for worship, a masterpiece. It's your purpose. Are you fulfilling this purpose? Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.